Halfway through this episode, we mentioned that Kylo Ren kills Han Solo. If you don't want to find that out, please see The Force Awakens before listening to the rest of the episode. I'm surprised you're not a whaler. The whaling life for me. <laughs> we are here today in the name of duty. And sometimes duty is a hard taskmaster. This woman, whom we all knew as a handmaid, has been found guilty of seduction and fornication with a member of the medical staff. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Style Guide with your hosts, Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing today, Dave? I am doing pretty good, Steve. I'm still over here on the continent. I'm, I'm sorry, where? <laughs> on the continent, which I think is incorrect. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the Netherlands. <laughs> You're on the continent. <laughs> I'm not at all. I'm not at all on the continent. I'm in Europe somewhere. See, because that's one of the things that bugs me. I think Asia and Europe should be part of the same continent. Like, they're all one landmass. Yeah. I'll let someone else explain to you why that's not true. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Mostly just because I don't know the answer. I have no idea. <laughs> but um, but that's not what we're talking about today, actually. We're not here to talk about uh, Europe. We're not talking about European anything. No, we're we're talking about, really, the the downfall of the United States and how terrible it is to... Uh, to live or experience America. And we're talking about something very close to home in as far as uh, Canada goes as That's well. That's right. We're talking about Margaret Atwood. And particularly we're talking about her her science fiction dystopias. So, And even more specifically, we're talking about things like uh, Oryx and Crake, uh, The Handmaid Tale, the Handmaid's Tale. You you confused it with that improv show you're doing. I know. That's, that's, I keep doing it, and I keep wanting to spell tail differently too. But don't change. You don't tail. change tail, no. And and, uh, and also like the Penelope ad. Yeah. Uh, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But generally, just the works of Margaret Atwood. Yeah, Margaret Atwood. So yeah, where do we where to begin with Margaret Atwood? I I'd say. What were your, because uh, I don't know, had you read Margaret Atwood before we decided to do I it? had. I, I had read uh, The Handmaid's Tale, and I read uh, yeah. I read Orcs and Crake for this podcast particularly. Yeah, so I had never read Margaret Atwood growing up. Uh, I just knew the name, and I knew that she was a great Canadian author, but I didn't know what about her specifically made her a great Canadian author, because I'd never read it. Uh, so... I'm curious what your expectations were uh, of Margaret Atwood before reading it for this podcast and what they are now. Well, so the f I don't remember the first time I read The Handmaid's Tale. It's not uh, terribly fresh in my mind wh why I read it. I don't think I ended up reading it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a milestone. It certainly wasn't a milestone. Uh, and I don't think I read it for school. So it's probably just one of the many science fiction books that I read as I tried to uh, tried to become a good and proper nerd. And it didn't particularly stick out for me. It, 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 I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't have have much to to say about it. And then reading hmm. Orcs and Crake in preparation for this podcast, I really realized I don't particularly enjoy Margaret Atwood. Hmm. Interesting. Now, uh, I guess, Mike, do you do you not enjoy Margaret Atwood 
Or do you not enjoy the act of reading Margaret Atwood? The act of reading her sure isn't fun. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I also... Her her novels don't really contain any joy for me. You know, they're... they're <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they contain joy for many people, Steve. I don't think that's the point. See, and... <laughs> And, and that's my problem. Like, I don't expect my novels to be happy. Certainly, I don't expect my science fiction dystopias to be happy. But at the same time, I think the experience of reading them should... I I shouldn't feel like I'm tired at the end of a chapter. You know, I shouldn't feel like I've slogged through it. And and I just... I I found... like I, I, didn't, I didn't want to continue reading her orcs and craig trilogy because i just i really didn't enjoy the experience interesting interesting see because when i started reading the handmaid's tale um i had very very little expectations of margaret atwood like i had no uh no idea what her writing style was like or what her you know her, just her general style i'm just gonna say style and as soon as I started reading The Handmaid's Tale, like the first chapter, maybe even the first three paragraphs, I was like, ah, this is why she's like a great Canadian author because of how she writes. She writes very well and in a way that really brings you into a world very quickly and beautifully. Uh, but I do see what you mean that by the end of a chapter, it can be like, oh my god, it's so draining, because it's such it's it's uh it's it's more literature than just like storytelling. Yeah, I think draining is is the perfect word to use for it, and not just in a sense like the story is so uh, dark or intense or anything like that, but just the the writing style as well is very ver not not quite verbose, but very uh, poetic and very prosaic. Pro prosaic? How do you say? It? What's the the adjective for prose. I don't think it's prosaic. I'm going to say prosial. Sure, sure. We'll, we'll go with that. Uh, it's very prosial uh, and poetic so that by the time you finish reading a chapter, you are like, your, your brain is a little more exhausted than it would be just reading, uh, you know, a John Grisham novel. Well, and I mean, I compare it to something like Moby Dick, which I've been reading recently, actually. And and the thing about reading Moby Dick that I found is that while while I'm not invested in in the the language or the context of the story in the same way that uh, Margaret Atwood I am in that you know I'm just more familiar with it like there mm -hmm. there's there's really a distinct sense where her science fi fiction di dystopias are closer to me than you know this uh, this revenge wailing tale. Yeah, uh, I yeah, wonder why. That's shocking. I'm surprised you're not a whaler. A whaling life for me. <laughs> but but I'm the 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 words really just flow and it and it it leaps off the page more readily. You're talking about Moby Dick. Yeah, here? with Moby Dick, then you're you're ignoring the first part where he talks about whales for a long time. Yeah, I mean I'm ignoring the entire opening of the book. And I'm ignoring the long so, chapters about knots, but at the same time, like. So when you when you when you cherry pick the moments from Moby Dick, it really does leap off the page. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't get away with you saying that Moby Dick is leaps off the page and is really exciting to read. But like that's the thing. It's it. 
it contains so much fun to read, and I honestly, I cannot say that there is any point in reading Orcs and Crake where I went, oh, that was awesome, in any sort of fun or delighted way. Like, there's there's some interesting yeah. things, uh, some novel things, some thoughtful, carefully thought out things, but, oh boy, did I just, I, I felt bad for for reading it, let alone, you know, the experience. And, and, you know, I think, uh, there's, a, there's another, uh, yeah. Cause the handmaid's tale doesn't quite leap off the page. I see what you mean. What it does is it kind of gives you a bunch of, um, scenes, a bunch of ideas, a bunch of moments, and then you have to kind of enter the page and find the story. Uh, she doesn't really spoon feed it to you. And I don't think, uh, either the handmaid's tale or orcs and crake, are very like you don't really know what's going on until like the very end of the book. Maybe not the very end, but like you've got to get at least halfway through the book before you even realize that, oh, I see we're in like this weird compound that used to be a corporation or whatever. You know, like um she doesn't tell you what anything means. She just tells it to you. Yeah, and and even then I think that you could you could read both of them lazily and miss miss what's going on whatsoever yeah if you're not really uh, uh in 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 into it and committed to the story you maybe have no idea what's happening in the whole sh- in the whole thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> handmaid's tale maybe not not as bad yeah i mean with with that you the the character not not that the character is simple but the character creates a simpler sort of uh story there whereas uh oryx and crake is deliberately obtuse because the character is supposed to be very bright and and clinging to a world that they don't really remember and so yeah they're kind of the last human so yeah and so there Mm -hmm. there's a an intellectualism run amok that's that's definitely a part of oryx and crake yeah, where The Handmaid's Tale, because you do realize later that it is like a, an oration that was recorded and pieced together. That's sort of the the, the sort of after yeah. word about it. And so it comes across like that, like a little little simpler, a little more the per, the characters thought through it from their perspective. Whereas in Oryx and Crake, it is kind of like a crazy person rambling. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, not crazy, but you know. What I mean. Well, I mean, I I, th- I think that's right. It's a character who is definitely descended into a madness of sorts. P- part of that mm-hmm. from their situation, and part of that possibly, um, po- possibly to do with something, something corporations, and you know what they put in our food. I don't. <laughs> yeah. The whatever whatever is going on there with with Atwood. Yeah, and you know, I don't, I, uh, I think, and I guess this is where I think Atwood is, why, why she's a great Canadian author, is because I just love that you keep saying that, like you almost can't say Atwood without saying great Canadian actor. <laughs> well, I, if I figure if I keep saying it, it'll, it'll, you know, I'll convince you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but uh, is is the same things that make it somewhat difficult for you to just sit down and just read a book, you know, is what makes it such a great book. Uh, and I guess we could compare it if we want to do something more like to compare it to something cinematic. It would be like a Stanley Kubrick film where you can't, you wouldn't just like, oh, you want to watch a movie? Yeah, let's just put on Space Odyssey 2001 and just like chill out and watch a movie. 
Uh, it's not that not kind of space movie. Odyssey and chill. Yeah, it's not Space Odyssey and chill. It's some like you, you put on like nine oh two and oh or something to chill. And so same same thing with Atwood. You don't just like read Atwood to just like oh, I'm just gonna relax before I fall asleep. You know, like you read Terry Pratchett for that because it's just fun and playful and 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 whimsical and and the story is just great to read. Whereas no Atwood story is like oh yeah this is this is my jam. Oh man, I love this story. <laughs> it's more like this story terrifies me, and. In it, I can see social issues that we deal with today uh, reflected in this dystopic future. And, oh, my goodness, it's terrible. Yeah, but at the same time, like, her dystopias are, they're bonkers. Like, they're, the the thing that I I love about a dystopia is the way that you can see the present reflected in it. And I really... I mean, I get that that she is writing social critique, and I mean, in, there's there's a strong sense in which these really aren't dystopias. They're just thinly veiled allegories for things that Margaret Atwood doesn't like about the now. But would you even would you even bother saying thinly veiled? Well, like, could you just say they are allegories for? Uh, like the uh, criticizing society today. I, I I think that that's fair. I I think that like like taking to the extreme that women are just there to be given to have make babies. Yeah, and you know taking to the extreme that you know corporations genetically modify our foods and and control everything that we intake and thus are going to be the downfall of all of Western civilization. I, yeah, <laughs> but like but that that that's the thing for me. It, when I think of of those sorts of critiques, I think of someone like maybe Ursula K. Le Guin, who's you know like mm-hmm. the Left Hand of Darkness or something like that, where where the not the the social critique was believable because it took place in a world that was believable. Yeah, and I see. Yeah, well, Ursula K. Le Guin does do more in the realm of. I mean, I haven't read much of her work, but. Uh, I believe it is much more science fiction. Yeah, she and in in very different worlds than today. And whereas Atwood is more like fifty years in the future, you know, like or twenty years in the future of today's world. So it is like more. I think the term is speculative fiction, right? Where it's just like speculating on what like the, what would happen if we continue down this path, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think I think that's the term that that she would use to describe her work, um, and I would just say that it's not great science fiction. Uh, you'd still call it science fiction. Well, I mean it, because that's the thing with The Handmaid's Tale that I remember when I read through it the first time was that the actual science stuff is very very subtle, if any fictional science. Like, you know, key cards and stuff and like scanning things for money. Like we almost have that now. Yeah. But the thing is, like um, for for me, it uh, for, for starters, you know, it being written in 85, like she's not predicting things particularly, um, particularly well. And I don't I, I, I run into this weird discussion with with dystopias in general and whether is a dystopia science fiction you know why um it 
especially when dystopias very rarely take place uh, in in a, a scientific future or with technology advances. Often it's a, a technology regression that they that they take place in. Hmm. I don't know. I think I feel like uh, with science fiction dystopias, it is often the uh, like where, why you would call this science fiction dystopias because science has caused the dystopia. Like Planet of the Apes, we destroyed the world because of nuclear bombs and stuff like that. And then the apes rose or whatever. <laughs> um, maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> but but science destroyed the world and that's why it's so dystopic. As opposed to something that would be more speculative fiction dystopia where uh, it's not science that destroyed the world. It was what if something else happened that caused the world to be destroyed? How would we react? So in A Handmaid's Tale, it is, I guess maybe you'd call it science fiction because of the radiation or whatever that they, they don't really, she doesn't really explain the cause of why people are not having babies. And more specifically, Caucasian people aren't having babies, I think is what she says. So because of that, what ha what would happen if there were very few people that could have babies left? And this is the world she's imagined around it. Not really because of technology that's ruined it or science that's ruined it, but something has ruined it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I um, I mean, I think a, a good example would be like 1984 not being science fiction, but being speculative fiction, right? Because the, the technology changes to the world have absolutely nothing to do with the, the dystopia that has come Dys about. Yeah. The dystopia has come about because of what? What was it in nineteen eighty four? It was just kind of like this. Yeah, war. it just you know the it uh, well um, not Wells. Uh, um, who wrote nineteen eighty four? Wasn't it Wells? Orson Wells? No. Oh no, no, it's not Orson Wells. It's um, uh, George Orwell. <laughs> Orwell's, yeah, Orwell. Orwell's nineteen eighty four. But, but taking yeah. with an apostrophe, taking yes. the idea of. Uh, <laughs> perpetual war to and and government overreach kind of to its uh what some would say logical conclusion uh and so the technology right, yeah. advances are kind of a backdrop for that but not uh not the motivating factor and and so i i yeah. i can see that although like in 1984 don't they have the thought police in that uh one? yeah they have thought police and they have these tv screens that see into what you're doing and they have brainwashing techniques that are all chemical but they're those are all um, secondary to what what is actually the dystopia, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the, yeah, and I, the war world. Yeah, that's that is true. Although I think part of the dystopia in nineteen eighty four, and I because I would think of it more as a science fiction, because what makes it so terrifying is not that the government is controlling everything and looking in on you but that they have new ways to do it and even into your thoughts and stuff like that is what makes it more terrifying and more of a dystopia than this perpetual war. Um, whereas in, in The Handmaid's Tale, the science aspect isn't the dystopia. It's the fact that like these women are being made handmaids to just have to get traveled around and they get names like of Glenn and stuff like that. And that's the the terrifying part. Yeah, so I would say 1984 is more science fiction dystopia. And same with like Brave New World, where where in Brave New World is... Wait, hold on, before I mess this up. Brave New World, is that the one where they genetically make babies in like tubes and stuff like that? Um, I don't know if they make babies, but I know it's all chemical-based. It's um, 
And then everyone takes these drugs that make them yeah, happy. Yeah, I can't. But no one actually like gives birth naturally anymore. Yeah, like, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So then again, yeah, yeah. So so uh, Brave New World, more science. Uh, whereas Handmaid Tale, the science isn't really advanced in any way. Yeah, I'm, I would almost say there is no scientific advancement in Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> the only thing is when she mentions that her the uh, the way women were paying, where everyone was paying, was with their like ID cards or whatever, and all of a sudden women's IDs cards stopped working, and the men would have to buy things for them. Yeah, I mean, I hmm, I I, I guess I just get caught up because the post apocalyptic genre is so often considered science fiction like even something like uh uh what's that kevin costner movie um the mailman uh, no i wasn't thinking the mailman but that's another one water water <laughs> i forgot about the, the the postman the mailman the postman dances dances with not wolves. dances with wolves if dances with wolves is science fiction i'm done <laughs> okay um but, but so, so you're talking Waterworld about Waterworld is Go. so often considered a post-apocalyptic uh, science fiction film, and actually, so is The Postman, for that matter. And neither of those contain any sort of uh, technological advances; they just take place in the future. Yeah, I wouldn't call Waterworld post-apocalyptic, dude. The, what are you talking? Of course, it's post-apocalyptic. The the water apocalypse so. happened. Well, I guess it's just that apocalypse means like burning of the earth. And so I always think of Waterworld as not being that at all. No. Because <laughs> the earth is not scorched. In fact, it's the opposite. It is. <laughs> it, it is, is a, a beach. A post, it is a post-awatoclipse. Yeah, but like z- zombies are now po- are post-apocalyptic and alien yeah, invasions. Right. So it is a post-apocalypse. Okay, you got me. You got me. <laughs> the water, uh, it is. Uh, but again, it is not a science fiction. It is a speculative fiction because it is like what if the uh ice caps melted yeah but that's that's the thing for me is that we we've blended these genres and i think even from early on we've blended these genres like i think i think of someone like uh robert heinlein who who used the term speculative fiction quite a bit to describe his own work and and Mm -hmm. his work is something that we would definitely call science fiction now like um starship troopers uh yeah because i guess i just were i i just uh i think using the term science fiction when the science is not fictitious is a weird way of using that term so water world is almost more of a fantasy i guess you know that i was about to say fantasy but then he they do say that he has gills because he's a mutant right not because of anything else, he just mutated and he can breathe underwater. I hate. God, that that's movie. a terrible movie. <laughs> All right, back to back Atwood. To Atwood. Back, back to Atwood. Atwood. Whether whether or not it's science fiction, I guess, is up for uh, some debate because there is some fictitious science, but not very much. But I guess under the definition of what makes something science fiction, you could say it's science fiction. Well, yeah, and I mean, I guess uh, my big distinguish would would be that it's not. It's definitely not fantasy, right? Like there, it doesn't take place in a in a world with mythical creatures. Um, no, there's there's Japanese tourists in The Handmaid's Tale, and like uh, Oryx and Crake is like you know normal. Like it has like a like Korean child porn. Yeah. Which is really the weirdest part of that whole book, 
where things get super uncomfortable. If Sense8 made me feel guilty for watching it at times, Margaret Atwood made me feel guilty for living in the world at all. <laughs> that's a good way to yeah. put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, that's something, again, like, like what makes Margaret Atwood great, but not something you want to read all the time just for fun. It's not a fun read, but it is something that pushes you, that makes you think about things, that makes you feel uncomfortable, that makes you realize that, oh my God, this kind of happens in our world today. You know, and when I'm reading about it in this science fiction world, it's terrible. And you know what? We do that today. Yes. But when she puts it behind this this veil of of these apocalyptic worlds, like, okay, so the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games does something similar, right? Like there's a social critique in the Hunger Games uh, about any number of things, but our nature, our, our relationship to media and consumption and exploitation and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and there is both that critique and the story that's happening in there. And you, you can get both out of it. Right. Whereas in, in Atwood, I feel like you can't do that. You can't disassociate its parts. I see. Yeah. So you're saying the story of uh, that Margaret Atwood creates is not a strong enough story for you to, uh, I guess, the story is not sugar enough to help the medicine go. Down. That would be exactly how I put it. Because the story of The Handmaid's Tale, you don't really learn to love the protagonist. Uh, you don't even really find out. You don't find out her name. Yeah, you're hearing this story sort of third hand, and the part that makes it so. Well, I think one of the most tragic parts of that book is the very, very last, like uh, epilogue, where you hear all these uh, professors discussing the validity of the story and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, in like a, a university setting where they're making jokes. And people are laughing and you're like, oh my goodness, like I just heard this story and I'm all emotional. And then people are laughing about it and it just kind of hits you really hard there. But, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. The story is less than, uh, it's not satisfying. And, and part of that has to do with the deliberate choice on, on, on Atwood's part to be, uh, not obscure, but but not tell her stories in a straightforward manner. Like the Hunger Games, the story is told a beginning, yeah, beginning, yeah, beginning to, to end. end. Yeah. They she she doesn't do any much in the way of narrative or rhetorical tricks to to make it harder for you to read or understand what's going on. The experience of the story is meant to. The, the way you read the story is meant to make consumption easy. Whereas with Atwood, that's definitely not the case. The consumption is is in no way meant to be a straightforward experience. Yeah. So you're saying it's uh, Margaret Atwood is more like Ulysses and less like Twilight. Yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> And the thing is, when I read, I just wanted to use, I just wanted to use Ulysses and Twilight in the same. It's sentence. great. It's great. It, <laughs> it hurts my brain, even though they sit on the same shelf for me in my book in my house. They, <laughs> really? They do. Yeah. I love you. 
but like the the thing that <laughs> Ulysses, I struggled through Ulysses and hated the experience at times, but ultimately found a lot of beauty and love and joy in the book. Whereas again, I can't really say that I've done that with Atwood yet, and whether whether or not that'll be the case, because I just I feel lousy. It's not well. It's not. It's not joyful. Yeah. And like, let's face it, as as men reading Atwood, we shouldn't be finding joy in this book. But what's the point? I guess is 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 what I in in a lot of ways ultimately come to. Like, I'm I'm a feminist. Well, I would say, <laughs> like I, yeah, no, yeah, no, and I, I know, and and I think I think I guess the point is the same point of all all uh, social critiques or. Uh, or uh, yeah, just I'm just gonna say social mm-hmm. critiques is to make you after you finish reading it, when you go back into your everyday life, to look at that and see it a little differently. Now, did did she achieve that in these novels? What do you think? Well, I she she didn't with Oryx and Crake for me, in a in a lot of ways because I think. I, I don't at all believe the the world that she's trying to to make me uh, make me more aware yeah. of. You know, the, the the reason I don't think Orson Craig did it for me either was was more because uh, the whole idea of corporations being evil and stuff like that. Fight Club did way better, <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this is already played." Sure, Come of on. course you cho- choose a hyper masculine piece of media, Dave. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Oh, I'm such a. I'm such. I'm such a man. Well, and and I, I guess I mean in in some ways, like I can believe um, the sexism of Handmaid's Tale, and I can believe the the anti-American sentiment in Handmaid's Tale more uh, than I can believe that you know all corporations are set out to do evil and and this. I mean. Yes, I understand that we're living in a world that is increasingly corporatized. Like that, that isn't shocking to me. But at the same time, mm-hmm. for Margaret Atwood, that seems to be a whole, wholly bad experience, and nothing good comes out of it. And and as I remind my students, I like my iPhone. Like I just do. I think that my iPhone allows me um, the ability to access things in a way that I that my ancestors could never have imagined. And, and there are ways in which my experience of being human has been improved through these corporations. Yeah, there there's a cost to it, but there's also a benefit to it. Because why would we do it if there was no benefit? Yeah, yeah. So I think that makes Oryx and Crake harder to swallow. Whereas The Handmaid's sure. Tale, well, I, I can kind of see what she's doing. Well, like, what are you... This is my interesting question. This is something because I think yeah, The Handmaid's Tale hit me in a very different way than it maybe was intended to or then maybe hits most people. So what what do you th- what what was your big takeaway from the handmaid's tale? Like what is the point she's trying to make in your opinion? Well, I I think she's doing a few different things, but I think one of the the big criticisms that that Atwood is leveling um and if I'm not mistaken this it was written in the early 80s, is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right on there, but uh, I can double check. But yeah, continue. well, I mean, that's you know similar to this time period in uh, in Canadian politics and 
generally in in Canada where there's a a growing growing fear that the United States is going to swallow us whole you know that that mm. we are going to become Americans and and in a lot of ways I see that in in the handmaid's tale where she is she is painting a picture of of Gilead that is horrific in so many ways and and yeah. we and uh, like I think even they talk about people wanting to flee to Canada in that book they do yeah, yeah. and so and they have a the underground women's railroad right or the female the female railroad which the scientists jokingly call the frail road and everybody laughs and you're like oh my god this is so yeah it's just... <laughs> yeah and so for so for me it's i mean i i see it up there with with works that are that are meant to kind of say oh oh no let's not lose what we are as as canadians because you know we have a respect for re- religious diversity and we have a respect for uh, individual citizens and rights and and we we can't lose those to to the United States, despite yeah. what great things could come from that relationship. See, and what's funny to me is because so when I read it, the big thing that I kept taking away from it and kept hitting me, and I think it might be because when I read it, which was nowadays, mm-hmm. and what's happening right now with the uh, Islamic State and, yeah. and the, the all that sort of stuff. So all I could see in the whole time reading it was like, this is what happens when a uh, uh, what's the term uh, theocracy. Yeah. Okay. Takes over as a ruling party, and we are no longer ruling people with uh, with reason and logic and uh, you know freedom. We're ruling people from this um, top down mentality of of theology of 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 from God down uh, sort of thing. And so that to me was what I kept seeing as the as the dystopia was this this ridiculous religious world that that had no. Uh, I think you said it before: religious diversity. And again, and again, so this is where I'm like, I, I don't think the act of reading Atwood is enjoyable, <laughs> but I see uh, after reading it, I see why she is considered a uh, prolific Canadian author. See how I used a different word there? <laughs> I did. Uh, a word that just means wrote a lot instead of great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you see what I mean, that, that, uh, that you can't read something like The Handmaid's Tale and be like, ah, it's a crappy book. Man, I don't know. You think you can read The Handmaid's Tale and be like, yeah, it's a crappy book. Like, I don't think you can. I think you read it and you're like, that is great. I don't feel good, but that was a really great book. And, and just, like, just like you can watch uh, A Clockwork Orange and be like, that movie made me feel sick, but man, was that a good movie. I have actually never finished A Clockwork Orange for that very reason. Yeah, but it's a good movie. Well... <laughs> Yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I think because yeah, because I don't think the only metric we can use to decide whether or not a, a book is good is whether or not after we read it we felt good. I one hundred percent agree. I that 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 is most definitely. Yeah. So the fact that the fact that at the end of the book you don't feel good should have not really any bearing on whether or not it's a good book or whether or not she's a good writer. Or as I would say, great writer. Or as most people would say, prolific writer. Well, I mean, I guess I think of something like <laughs> uh, a writer like someone like Joseph, Joseph Conrad. So 
under western eyes or heart of darkness heart of darkness you it's not a joyful novel right like it's not one where where you're like oh man this is such a lovely touching story about the african congo it's it's terrible it's terrible and awful Mm -hmm. and uh, and you feel bad after reading it and yet at the same time I found the experience uh, I find the experience of someone like Joseph Conrad enriching. I find that I feel my life has been enriched through the experience of it and I want to reread the book because the the nuances of the story uh, are are there, there are a bunch of nuances to the story and I want to explore them more and I want to better understand this world. Mhm. And I guess that has never happened for me reading Atwood. It it fe- it mm. feels like I'm it, it in some ways feels like reading her is a chore, and and when I'm done the chore, I don't have any interest in returning to it. Mm, sure. Well, I mean, I mean, because I would say there are other great books that I love, like like anything by Chuck Palahniuk, not just Fight Club, but any of his books. Like, I think I've only read most of them once because after reading it, it was like, Oh, I feel dirty and the world looks terrible now. And I, I hate everything. Um, but while reading the book, it was just like the experience of that was, was dark and it was dirty. Uh, and it was very different than anything else and made me see the world in a different way and changed my perspective on a lot of things. And then when it was done, it was like, I never returned to it because it was like, a dark place that I don't want to go to again, <laughs> but going there was an enriching experience. And I think that same could be said of most of Margaret Atwood's novels that afterwards you may not want to return to it, but you, you can't say you read the handmaid's tale and had no, nothing in it connected to you or to today's world or to your life or to the world around you. And that you didn't come out of reading that novel changed or different. It may not be a good difference. It may not be like, yeah, I feel so great now. I understand something about theocracies. But like, you'll come out of it having thought differently. I I I will agree that I um that is I think what Margaret Atwood is going for. I I, I think that that's definitely the case. And maybe maybe my biggest hurdle here is is in myself in that. I have read a ton of science fiction and I have read a ton of speculative fiction that explores some of these concepts uh, already and and that I guess um, I I would rather go go read those those critiques of some of the same sorts of concepts than I would read Atwood in because for, for me as a reader it is it's important if if a book i'm going to say is great or if a writer is great i want to return to their work i i, I mm. want to go back into it and continue to explore it even if i don't i don't feel good doing it at times i i want that i want to re-experience that the world that they've created and i guess it just that just hasn't happened for me for atwood mm. and part of that probably has to do with the complexity of her work in in that Atwood is never doing any one thing like I, I what, what I find interesting is that you know when we talk about The Handmaid's Tale you know we 
I mean, we, we talk around the topic, the topic of control of women's bodies and that sort of stuff, but the, the, the big takeaway for you and I was this, this notion of theocracy and this notion of uh, American imperialism, right? Yeah, because in my mind, of course, women should have control of their bodies. Like, like that, that topic is, it, 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 as a, like a fairly liberal person, that topic wasn't like, ooh, you're convincing me of something different. But the theocracy idea was something that I was more like, ooh, this is more relevant. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, right, like she does have that very strong um, empower, not empower. It's, it is not a book about empowering women, but um, <laughs> uh, criticism of, uh, of control. And, and so there are a bunch of different layers that she's stacking all together in her story where, where it becomes... In a lot of ways, you can take what you want out of it, but at the same time, um, it it is so easy to ignore some parts of her her story just because of the complexity of the narrative, or because you just missed it. Yeah, because she is making you work hard to get that story. Yeah, as opposed to somebody like, like Ursula K. Le Guin, who who is much more. She's not a simple writer, but she's more straightforward. Yeah, and if you want to go even further, The Hunger Games, which is very straightforward, um, but isn't making you work really hard for the story so that you can, while reading the story, enjoy all these themes. Yeah. Whereas with Atwood, it is like she's making you work hard for the story. She's making you work hard for every sentence sometimes. God, yes. <laughs> making it hard for you to figure out, is this present? Is this past? Where are we in the story? And you're having to piece it together. So because her writing, and this is where I would say her writing is so great, because her writing is so great and her themes are so complex, it is not a joyful experience to read, but it is as a as someone who enjoys literature and someone who enjoys poetry and uh, and just the and storytelling. I had a great time reading it, even though it wasn't joyful. Well, okay. I've, Does that yeah, make sense? Does that make sense? What I yeah, just said totally. That? that makes a ton of sense. And I was working hard, but it was like I was like at the gym working out. You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm getting a workout right now here. This is awesome reading this book, <laughs> even though it's hard. And I think I think a big thing is you one of your criteria for uh, great uh, books seems to be that you can return to it uh, and would want to return to it over and over again. And I don't think that criteria fits in my judgment of a good book or a great book. I mean, if I do that, I, it's tended it, it's a good chance to say this must be a great book because I keep wanting to go and read it again. But I don't think that is necessary for something to be great. As someone who enjoys the works of Chuck Palahniuk, but his most recent book, um, when I tried to read it, I had to stop because the first chapter was so uh, violent and um, off-putting that I didn't even finish. The, I didn't even finish the first chapter. See, and and what's funny is that. <clears throat> I keep trying to make parallels to to movies uh, because for me, I think that I I find uh, I, there there are quite a few movies that I enjoy that people would say aren't uh, that are, that are hard to watch artsy films. Yeah. And but I realize one of the things about uh, most of these movies is that visually they are stunning, even even if the content is abhorrent. Or, 
or they're they're able to weave together sound and light in such a way that even when you're watching something terrible that makes you feel lousy inside you 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 get to look at beautiful shots and beautiful beautiful cinema going on in front of you and with atwood you never you never entirely get to that point where you just go oh yeah this is this is all beautiful like even even if you remove the content in some ways you're not like all oh, these sentences are so beautiful the sentences you're right they're they're often very hard and choppy and and difficult to to pull out what what exactly she's trying to say or what exactly is being said yeah and i think the poet in me really enjoys reading atwood for that very reason like the same reason i enjoy jeanette winterson's work uh who wrote the passion and um many books i won't sexing the cherry sexing the cherry uh and reading her books is like falling backwards into a story like you're just reading these beautiful sentences and somehow there's a story in there um and and you don't even care like i when i read jeanette winterson i don't even care about the story i'm just enjoying reading you know it's so pretty and with Atwood, I enjoy that poetry in her writing and that that sense of breaking down sentences uh, and making word play within the, the like, you can tell she likes writing and she likes words uh, when you're reading her work and how she finds sort of like, she uses puns in actually a beautiful way instead of a comedy way, which I really appreciate. Um, and so I do enjoy reading her work for that but I think I think what it is is it is uh it's one of those novels that um uh The Handmaid's Tale is I'm talking about specifically here it's one of those novels where you uh you want to read it and then like have a whole bunch of people like write papers about it and like read their write what they wrote about it and it, it stirs conversation and, and like makes you start talking about all these themes and ideas and concepts and breaking them down like you can talk about as we've said, like theocracy, you can talk about women in the control of their body. You can talk about class and like uh, and um, and uh, gender equality and stuff like that. Like, there's so much, so many possible lenses into the story or or out of the story that uh, it is it's full to the brim, which makes it which makes it hard to drink without spilling. You know. I, I get get what you're saying with that, and and it makes a lot of sense. And and as somebody you doesn't know, mean you have is, to like the book. <laughs> no, no, but like as somebody who is an intellectual, I definitely like I I can I can agree with what you're saying. Any any time a work causes kind of an intellectual flurry in in the people around me, I'm I'm a big fan of. Like this this is one of the reasons why the latest Star Wars movie for me ends up being such a great film even though the film itself is good but the the amount of discussion and thoughtfulness that went into people's consideration of the film kind of elevates it in a lot of ways because it was as if for you know this two-week period a large portion of our society decided that we were going to really take our time and be thoughtful about a piece of media yeah and 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 that's what i loved and and I mean, they weren't trying to do that with Star Wars. It's not as if The Force Awakens is supposed to be this budding intellectualism in the American cinema. Like, it's, and yet it was. It, yeah, yeah. And and so I, I you appreciate it. I think on, you appreciate right. it on that level. Yeah, and I, I think you're right to point to that in in Atwood. Okay, here we go. Here, let me throw this sentence at you, and have you say true or false. 
It's not a great novel, but it's a great book. Hmm. <laughs> As a novel, like a story that you read, maybe it's not the best story to read if you're looking for a novel to read. But if you're looking for a book to read to get something out of, it's a good book. Yeah, I, I would take I would take it one step further and go, it's not a great novel, it's a great experience. Ooh, that's good. That that's a better way to put it than book. Yeah, because book is pretty big. <laughs> because so so this is this is something that increasingly like we talk about with television a lot, you know. Like when when people say, Oh man, that episode gave me the feels, you know. And and what we mean is that episode of television made us sad. I, I really right? hate the term feels, but yes, I agree with the the feeling the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. And but but what we really mean is that it made us sad. We don't mean that it gave us a variety of feelings and and kind of a fuller human experience. It it was able to tug at a particular particular emotion. It made you cry. Yeah. And yeah. And I I think of like, even the people who absolutely hated The Force Awakens. And I'm I'm talking like the people who who were just they, they Ref, the movie refused to see it again because Han Solo died. Yeah, they're like, I refuse to see that movie ever again. I hate exactly. Jake hey, Amy Gruber, um, and they they hated it so much. But the amount of of force behind that feeling for them, like yeah. the the movie created that experience in them, and or or that that emotion in them, and and they were radically changed through the experience in such that they probably can't go back to being the same person. And they definitely had the feels, whereas they felt sadness, they felt joy, they felt anger, they, felt, they had lots of feelings inspired by The Force Awakens. Is this, where, this is where you're getting at, I think, which is where we could say Margaret Atwood, her novels give you the feels. You don't, you don't leave a Margaret Atwood novel with just one feeling. No, no, you you can't. I mean, in 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 a lot of ways, what if you do that? I think Margaret Atwood would say you're not really a human being. Yeah, you just read it and laughed. Oh, great, you're you're a psychopath. Like, oh, ha ha ha! It's it's so funny this world that these these people live in. You're like, no, it's it's this is not funny at all. This is horrific, and I I mean I. Yeah, you you shouldn't you shouldn't just just you know walk away from it having the joy of another novel, and so yeah, like, I mean, it's not the hunger. So like days. you mentioned, we're doing this as an improvised style for Paper Street uh, Theater mm -hmm. soon, and it was as far as like a, a discussion with the cast and breaking down the style. One of the more dynamic, exciting uh, discussions we've had in a long time, where some people loved it, some people hated it, some people found it hard, some people noticed very different things or got very different things out of it. Some people got emotional. Some people like, like we, it was a discussion that I was like, okay, we'll just spend like, you know, let's spend half an hour and then we'll, we'll get out on our feet and do some stuff. We'll talk more later. And the discussion went on for well over an hour because people were so into it. Uh, and I think that is what makes Margaret Atwood a, um, how do you say, a, a great Canadian writer. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to get it in there again because it's true. It's true. She's great, and she's Canadian, and she's a writer. See, I, I, 
I mean, now I'm explaining the joke, but there was this moment where you said, how do you say it? And my, my brain went, I wonder what he's going to say. I wonder what <laughs> word Dave is searching for here. I wonder if I can help him find this word. Because my instinct is to be like, be your buddy and, and, and help help you find the things that you're looking and for. And then you slapped just you in dick. the face. <laughs> but um, yeah, well, I think, I think, I think we're, we're, I did not expect to spend this much time discussing with you whether or not she was good. Um, but I'm glad we did, uh, because yeah, because I think that is one of the great things about Atwood is not not that she writes stories that are digestible, or not that she writes um, novels that are fun or something you'd want to read out loud to your children. Um, it's that she writes novels that open discussion, uh, and not only open discussion, but kind of force you into thinking about that discussion and those issues uh, in your world today. And you know what? You never have to read one of her books again, Sigo, if you don't want to. <laughs> I know. It's kind of an exciting feeling. I never have to go back to Margaret, Margaret Atwood. I can read dense political theory texts in, instead. Yeah, but you know I'll, what? I bet you. I bet you in like 15 years, you'll go back to it. And this is what I think makes The Handmaid's Tale great, is that in 15 years, if you go back to it and read it again, based on what the world's going to be like in 15 years, you'll get a very different thing out of it. I, I think that's probably true, although, and, and we didn't get into this at all today, but like, I, beyond everything else about Margaret Atwood, her portrayal of men is, I, I think, just short-sighted and poor. Like, oh, you think? Yeah. yeah I don't know. I, she thinks we're just sexy sex monsters. She really does. And I mean. Well, I, I mean, we pretty much are. Uh <laughs> no, but um, but I think yeah, because like The Handmaid's Tale, uh, fifteen years ago or twenty years ago or twenty or actually I guess thirty years ago when it was written, um, was more about women's control of their body. I think is what people took away from it the most, you know. Uh, and now it is not about that. That's there. It's definitely in there still. But that's not what I took away from it, and that's not what you took away from it. <laughs> you took away from it the American influence, and I took away from it the theolo- the, the theocracy stuff. Um, because we're at a point in society where, at least we are, you and I, where it's like, yeah, women should have control over their bodies. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And the con- the context in which we're reading it matters, right? Like the de- the debates about Planned Parenthood don't really happen here in Canada. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I mean, we are Canadian, so that changes things. Yeah, where whereas in the States it, it does. And so, um, but, but I think that that even proves your point further, right? Where the context of these stories and when they're read really does change them. And so I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, whether or not Margaret Atwood is a great Canadian writer, she will continue, uh, for example, being taught in high schools and universities um, as, as a thoughtful Canadian author. Yeah, because anytime you read that book, Depending the context you're in depends on what comes out of it. And that's what makes her a great Canadian writer. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, any, any final thoughts for you, Dave? I think, uh, I think we've done our final thoughts pretty well here. And uh, after this, we'll have an epilogue dissecting the podcast <laughs> from some distant, <laughs> distant future <laughs> where they'll make fun of how short-sighted we were thinking that Margaret Atwood was not a great writer. Obviously, they have cities called Margaret Atwood Silly city in the future see i like how you say we were short-sighted but you really just mean me i'm the one with the problem here i was trying to be nice <laughs>